what's going on, you bloody wankers? <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for the first person to talk, right? Yeah. I purposely wanted to make that awkward for you guys because I think I'm usually the one who sets it off. But I was like, I'm just going to do a bunch of hand signals till they get nervous and start talking. Um, <laughs> Dude, you're the speaker of the group, mate. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm just like uh, probably little a little bit more extroverted although here's the funny part though is like with the whole introvert extrovert thing is I always thought I was like really introverted my whole life but it's like the more I get to know myself and the older I get the more I'm like you know what I really like especially after 2020 and whatnot I was like I really really crave like social interactions with people like it's important to my mental health. So I was like, I was like, maybe I'm not as introverted as I thought, man. I like to talk. I like to hear the sound of my own voice. So yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately for you fuckers listening to the podcast, you got to listen to me talk a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough for me, it was the opposite actually. Cause I always thought, and I, I don't know if I've changed, but like, I always thought I was an extrovert. Like growing up, I was always around people. I would never spend that much time at home. If I did, I was with my family, my brothers or whatever. And now I find that like, I just crave time to decompress at home. And I, I don't know if it's because now I've got a family of my own and it's like, it's a lot of hard work and I'm a coach so I'm, I spend a lot of time with people so I don't know if it's just the change now of I don't really get a lot of time to myself but I kind of crave just sitting down and not having any um any noise I've actually started this thing no noise time I call mm. it mm. so it's kind of like meditation I just sit there sometimes I'll just sit down have my eyes open other times I'll sit or lie down with my eyes closed I know I told you uh, I messaged you guys last week and I was like trying to do meditation I fell asleep um, so yeah trying to get some noise time but yeah so I I think that I'm a slight this podcast i'll be ready to take a nap that's for sure <laughs> yeah you know what when i first started meditating that happened to me a lot um i would just fall asleep and i think that's normal because i actually was in like a, a meditation like crew where like we all would go to this it's kind of a trip but we all would go to this yoga studio and my buddy, his wife owned it, and he'd be like, yeah, I'm running this, like, meditation group. And I was like, I don't know about that. It sounds weird. <laughs> but I started going, dude. I was, like, open-minded. You know, I started going, and uh, and I was laying down. And, you know, it's all comfy. You got, like, the yoga mats and the bolsters, and it's all fucking peaceful in this yoga studio. And so I just passed out for months, dude. For months, I just fell asleep for the full 30 minutes. And... Every single time, like, I'd look around and there's, like, maybe 10, 15 people also passed out. So, I didn't feel bad, you know what I mean? But yeah. But then eventually, I started to learn how to sit up and focus my attention. And, and sometimes, I still fall asleep even sitting up if I'm, like, really tired doing it. But, mm-hmm. but that is interesting, dude. I like how you uh, created that, that quiet time. Like, have you noticed any differences in your in your mental state i have actually yeah i mean i've only been doing it a couple of weeks um and sometimes i'll just have to do it even when i'm driving you know because i'd always listen to a podcast or music or anything i 
I would always have something on because I've got to learn something. I've got to like develop or start, you know what I mean? Like you can go down that rabbit hole and even just having some time of peace and quiet in the car. Um, what I've noticed is it's just really nice downtime that I get. And I do find it brings me a lot of peace um, from not having just so much um, sensory overload, I guess you know, just so much noise going on and um, yeah, it's nice. And also like you guys know that when we're trying to create stuff on, like we're trying to go hard on YouTube, we're doing this podcast, we're trying to still keep up with Instagram and TikTok. It's like really difficult always to come up with ideas and stuff. And I found like just sitting down quietly, it's just like, I just have all of these ideas flowing. Yeah yeah and, dude the best ideas come to you when <clears throat> right like notoriously my best ideas come in the shower yeah in the shower dude when there's nothing yeah. else going on i'm not like playing music and shit in the shower i stopped doing that but like my best ideas come in the shower for sure yeah you go oh, yeah you dude just it's a thing dude shower thoughts it's a whole yeah. there's a whole subreddit on it <laughs> right oh bloody hell i bet there is man. <laughs> <laughs> there's a subreddit for everything dude Mm-hmm. Bloody shower sub- thoughts. Yeah, shower, shower thoughts. Th- yeah. Austin, why are you in a subreddit <laughs> called Shower Thoughts, bro? That is super sus. That is so sus. Dude, it's actually a pretty big community. It's it's like just people have like these very profound thoughts and they just share it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could get into good. that. Maybe I'll have some yeah. shower yeah. thoughts. It's not weird or sus at all. It sounds. It sounds. It I know sounds it sounds that sus. way, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true though. You know, you think. I always think, and I find like, I didn't do fantastic growing up at school. I didn't really pay attention. I didn't really learn too well in an academic setting. And now I feel like I have to try and catch up a lot of the time. And so I always feel a lot of guilt for not paying more attention at school. Uh, And so I feel like I have to overcompensate right now by whenever I can, just always being productive and always learning something. So I got down the rabbit hole of like, when I was in my car, it's like always listening to a podcast Mm. or having YouTube playing in the background you know or like listening to a course or audio book and it's like always always i have to be learning something to catch up yeah and actually just taking a step back from that and still doing that sometimes but taking a step back from that and just like sitting in the car with nothing playing it's like really de-stresses me and it like i said like i get these ideas coming and going it's just nice to sit down my own thoughts it is better at home when i can just like there's no noise. There's no, I don't have to focus on the traffic. Um, but then I do fall asleep. So, you know, what's funny is I feel like most people struggle with even just driving in the car with no music and no anything going on. It's like, I know some people who like, they'd feel like they're fucking going crazy, just not listening or doing anything other than just no multitasking. Right. Cause like we multitask everything. Everything, like if you think about it, dude, everything we do is fucking multitasking. And our brains are constantly like multitask, multitask, dude. I got oh, I'm eating, I gotta be listening to the podcast. I'm I'm you know, I'm walking, I gotta be listening to an audiobook. I'm doing this, I gotta be doing that too. And it's like, um, dude, lately I've been lifting with no music and it's been f- I've had some killer lifting sessions with just the sound of whatever the the gym noise just the gym yeah that's just just whatever the gym music is playing yeah and honestly (laughs) it's so quiet because i like i train at planet fitness and um the gym music is so quiet 
that like I'm pretty much just just zoning into my own little world and and everybody there like I don't know it's funny because the planet fitness that I go to I swear to god everybody is fucking jacked out of their mind bro it's 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 ridiculous I feel like everywhere else in the world planet fitness you like people are like notoriously out of shape and doing ridiculous things like I go to planet fitness and I'm seeing people do like like mechanically functional exercises and like i'm like what the fuck dude this is everybody's jacked i'm yeah. like dude i came here so i could be the biggest one bro fuck. <laughs> no, i'm just kidding <laughs> no but like there's a serious lack of good gyms where i live so it's like fuck dude planet fitness and then the other gym that is the only other one that i would train at because my previous gym burned down um which was the one that I coached at myself. Um, that one burned down, and they're not going to reopen it anytime soon. So the only other gym that I would go to is uh, you go there around like four o'clock, six o'clock, and you can't you can't fucking get a machine. You can't like you can't fucking get a dumbbell uh, seat. You can't get a fucking bench for dumbbells. So it's 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 terrible. So I go to Planet Fitness. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I've never been to Planet Fitness. We don't have them here in Canada I don't think and definitely not in the UK um so all I've seen is people complain about them to be honest yeah a lot of people hate on them man um they have a lot of good good machines and especially for somebody who's in like the first one to two years of lifting it can be it can be a great environment for somebody to make some make some good progress so yeah I I like Mm. it I like it yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. I've never been to one, but I've seen like pictures. Like they have a pretty decent selection of machines, mm-hmm. and it's like if you have all the stuff, then you can get a good workout in. Yeah, dude. They even have like, um, they even have like the Cybex cable, like the double, ca- the dual cables, like next to each other. Which the old gym that I trained at didn't even have that, so I'd have to like do uh one arm at a time if i was doing like cable lateral raises or something like i'd have to do one arm at a time and here i like you know nobody ever uses the dual cable stack so i'm over there like a lot so it's pretty cool mm-hmm. yeah nice yeah but anyways um so yeah so today's episode i think we have a topic planned out andy you said you had some questions from uh from a follower or a friend of yours so um let's yeah, get I into do. it yeah let's get into it my main man, Demand Beer, legend. Um, I know him from the gym, and he has asked. He said he's currently in a surplus, gaining strength but not size. Diet is good, and training is hard. Um, so I'm presuming that he would like to be gaining size. He's happy. He's probably happy. He's gaining strength, but he would like to be gaining size. So, um, and so. That's one thing that he mentioned. And then his question was, how long should a surplus typically last? And how would you evaluate your success? Mm. Lot to unpack there. How long has he been in a surplus? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I can imagine probably for a few months. Okay. And yeah, so I'd probably guess like three three months maybe. Yeah, so that would be the first question I would ask personally is like, how long has he been in the surplus? And then the next question I would ask is, how is he gauging whether whether he's gaining size or not? Because I feel like a lot of people have really unrealistic expectations 
of how quickly they're going to be building muscle in a surplus. So even if he's taking measurements and those measurements aren't moving drastically in like a two-month period, that's pretty normal. So I don't know. What are your thoughts, Austin? Um, I also think another thing to consider is what is his training experience because that is going to determine how much muscle mass you're going to be able to put on. Um, so for those who don't know, like when you first start out lifting, you're going to make a ton of gains, like in your first one to two years. And that's probably going to be a significant portion of the gains you're going to make for the rest of your life. And that's not to say that you can't continually make gains for the rest of your life. It's just that it's going to slow down, uh, drastically. Uh, but yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack here, but I'd say First off, yeah, setting realistic expectations, just like Jeff said, but and there there has been a lot of like stupid like Instagram graphics I've seen and like stuff all over social media where people say like, oh, you can gain like twenty or thirty pounds like your first year, and that's like, no, that's that's <laughs> far from the, that's far from the truth. Like otherwise, everyone's gonna be walking around like an IFBB pro. <laughs> you can probably gain that much body weight but not muscle yeah. right right so, yeah i don't yeah. think people realize what 30 pounds of muscle looks like on a yeah. on a regular size frame like that is a that is a brick house <laughs> yeah uh-huh yeah and that's also something else like we could dive into too like you actually don't need a lot of muscle on your frame to look good mm. like a lot like honestly like a lot of people like i have been doing this for some time now and a lot of people like when they like guess my body weight, they're like, how, how much, like, how much do you weigh, dude? I'm like, how much do you think I weigh? And they usually like overshoot it by a lot just because they think you need a shit ton of muscle. And honestly, I want to say like for most people, and I got this number of uh, ballpark from Mike Matthews that he said for most men, like if you develop, I think it was like 20 or 30 pounds of muscle onto your frame over the course of your entire lifting career, not like in the course of a few years, but like over the course of, if you put a lot of time into this, like five to 10 years, 20 or 30 pounds on a guy. And then for women, if you do half that number, you're going to have a pretty decent physique. Yeah. And that's just in like what, five years. Yeah. And I even phone and say like, you can get that in like your first, like three to five years. Yeah. Yeah. What is what is a realistic amount of muscle for somebody to put on in their first one to two years? Is it like like ten to fifteen pounds? Is that is that pretty reasonable? Yeah, I've heard yeah, I've heard the numbers like ten to fifteen, and then every year after that, it's basically a good um estimate you can use is just having that every mm. year. So like your first your first year of like mind you following a consistent and progressive training program, like this this also is another thing we can go into. Like um, if you're having a good training program and a good regimented nutrition plan in place, that also counts too. Cause you know, there are a ton of people who's like, oh, I've been lifting for like five to ten years, but they're going in there doing these random hit circuits or doing <laughs> random group fitness classes, thinking that they're uh putting on a ton of muscle when in reality they're not like getting that same stimulus from a proper progressive strength training program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a good point, man. Yeah, it's like what kind of what kind of programs are people actually following and and are they actually like progressively making gains on those programs? A lot of people too are just are not tracking the weights that they're using. So that'd be another question I'd ask him too is like even though he's he said his strength is going up, so we can assume that he is tracking his numbers and his strength. 
Um, but another thing to think about too is like if if it's only been two months, what are his you know what are his expectations of how much muscle he's able to put on? You know that's because that's it is really really important, especially with clients. You know, I mostly work with fat loss clients, and I'm in I'm in my first like actual dedicated lean bulk right now. Like I've done three months in a surplus, four months in a surplus, but like this is I'm actually dedicating to the long term with this lean bulk here and I'll tell you for me personally like I left my expectations at the door and if I'm gaining like I'd say if I'm gaining like one to two pounds per month uh, that's like that's like a good rate of gain for me and there's no way for me to know whether that's muscle or whether it's fat but if my waist measurement is staying roughly you know around the same I can assume that it's going to be mostly muscle but how do you guys gauge somebody's success with a lean bulk that's a good question actually because that's one of his questions that he brought up how long should the surplus be and how would you evaluate your success so um in bringing it all together i think it really comes down to how he is going to evaluate his success and how he is going to track how he's getting on to determine if it's working or not really and it is difficult because like you guys have both said it does take time to build muscle a lot longer than it does like a gaining phase or gaining muscle is much harder than it is to lose fat i don't know if it was from 3d muscle journey or renaissance periodization but i heard that it takes a quarter of the time to lose to lose fat as opposed to gaining Mm. muscle so potentially like if you do four weeks of a gaining phase, of course, you wouldn't just do four weeks, but for every four weeks, you would need a one-week cut if you've done your four weeks properly, you know, because obviously if you've gone way overboard, you might need bloody more than that for a cut, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> But so in terms of like tracking your progress, the best thing you can do really is, of course, it sounds like he's tracking his weights already in the gym, which is really, really good. Tracking strength improvements, that's a really good sign. Taking measurements is great um, and also tracking body weight because you want body weight to go up. And you've mentioned here that you're doing a lean bulk. And I just want to mention to anyone that's listening, because there is a lot of confusion around this. Lean bulk doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to gain any body fat, right? Mm -hmm. Like the idea is when you're doing a bulk, you are purposely trying to gain weight to maximize the chance of muscle growth or to maximize the potential of muscle growth. And when you're gaining weight, there will be, you, you're putting your body in a, a surplus of energy, a surplus of calories. And some of that will get put towards building extra muscle tissue. And some of that will get put towards fat storage. Um, this kind of inevitable really. And you kind of have to go through that process. There is pros and cons. I've actually found that doing that for myself was one of the best things that I could do in terms of body positivity, funnily enough, to be in control of being in a gaining phase. I'm in control of gaining weight, which is great. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that's that's something to be aware of. Like a lean bulk or lean gain or building lean muscle doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to gain any fat it just means that you're really trying to limit the amount of fat that comes with that so that you can grow slowly um, because if you were to eat in a 200 calorie surplus or a 400 calorie surplus per day 
it doesn't mean that you are going to gain more muscle. It just means that the ratio between the calories that go towards fat as opposed to muscle becomes more unfavorable, if that makes sense. So you would just gain fat faster. So that means you've got to really take things slowly. So I would really track body weight. You just want to see it incrementally go up. Like you said, you said, what, one to two pound a month? Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. So a quarter of a pound to half a pound a week is is great. Now, if actually think about that and think about how difficult that is to assess, right? Because the scale goes up and down by two or three pounds by just going out and have having some restaurant yeah. food that's got slightly higher salt, you know, it's really difficult to assess that. So you really just got to buy into your program and, and track for several months and just adjust your calories to know that you're not maintaining, to know that you are actually just gradually gaining um, and, and track your body weight that way. So that, that's where tracking the averages of your weekly weigh-ins is, is really good. Measurements is good. Um, I find like if I'm tracking someone's weight loss targets, I will track mainly depending on the, on the type of client, but mostly I will track abdomen, maybe hips, um, and just take a few measurements. So they don't have to do, you know, multiple measurements every single week or every two weeks or whatever. But when I'm tracking someone that's trying to build muscle, you know, maybe you could do every fourth week you do it but you take an arm measurement and a leg measurement, maybe a calf measurement because you're trying to build muscle. So you want to try and measure, are you actually building some muscle there? But you've got to understand as well that your whole body is covered in a layer of fat Mm -hmm. and that is going to play a part in, if you're gaining fat as well, it's going to increase that number as well. Um, So what, what, I don't know if you guys know the answer to this, but what is a good, rate of gain as far as like measurements in a surplus like have you guys have you guys looked into that at all no i'm gonna say no but um yeah to answer that question on how to track progress i would say yeah measurements are definitely a good one uh progress pictures is also something that is highly underrated because like if you take progress pictures every four weeks and then you compare your physique from then until now. And it's like, clearly you've gotten more muscular, even though you might have gotten a little bit more fat. It's like, clearly if you have gotten more, a lot more muscle, then it, like you can know your plan is on the right track. And then I think as far as measurements go, um, I'm sure you guys use these, like in terms of fat loss clients, I just mainly use stomach, thigh, and glutes. Cause that's for most people, that's where we tend to store body fat the most. And so that's where we're going to gain and lose body fat if we are gaining and losing fat. But as far as like, you know, your arms, your chest, your, uh, your calves, like those things, like those, those areas can store fat, but they're like, for a lot of people, that's where, you know, fat is going to be the least deposited unless you're like extremely obese or something. So as long as basically, as long as you see those numbers, going up slowly you're increasing even maybe even taking centimeter measurements so that you can actually see those changes um as long as those those measurements are going up you know month after month you know you're in a a healthy surplus and not gaining too much body fat yep yeah also i think another thing to point out as well is andy you kind of touched on this in a lean gaining phase this is when macronutrients become more important Keeping dietary fats to the bare minimum for hormonal health and then keeping 
carbohydrates high enough to promote muscle growth and good training and then keeping protein adequate but not like overshooting that protein target i think that these are all important things to consider in a lean bulk and when you're lean bulking macros do matter as much as people say that oh you know just calories and protein yes for fat loss you know for most people the general public yes Calories and protein keeps things nice and simple, but in a lean bulk, this means you're more dedicated to your fitness. This means you're in it for the long term. You're looking to build some muscle in your size, and you're probably looking to optimize your muscle growth, which means macros matter. And keeping those carbs nice and high, keeping that protein around one gram per pound of body weight, and keeping that the dietary fat around you know 15 to 20 percent is going to maximize the amount of muscle growth and minimize the amount of fat gain as well. Totally. Yeah. I actually did a, my YouTube video that I recorded yesterday was on this exact topic and it was about, you know, should you track calories or macros? And I was suggesting basically anyone that's kind of on the beginner end of the spectrum, it's like you start with calories. And then as you get a little bit more advanced, you start to track calories and protein. And then as you get to more intermediate and advanced, you know, if you're talking about doing a lean bulk, if you are someone that's talking about doing a lean bulk, you are someone that, you know, is obviously taking this very seriously. You know, you're not just doing like a fat loss phase. You, you are you are training hard and, you know, you're actively trying to put on some muscle. And so it does pay to really dial things in with your nutrition. And, yeah, it does make a lot of sense to um, to dial in the dial in your macros and get those right still the most important thing is getting your calories right of course and then reverse engineering your macros to fit within those calories because if you don't want to be you want your calories to be like i don't know 200 calories surplus per day or something just a small amount um and then yeah so like jeff said there just making sure you're getting adequate protein keeping your fats to a point where one, you can adhere to the diet because you enjoy the amount of fat that you're having. Uh, so that's important, but also keeping them relatively low that you can really load up on carbohydrates because carbohydrates are is just going to fuel your training and going to help you recover from training so much more. Um, but you do need to make sure you're getting still getting a good balance of all three. And in my opinion, still getting um, you know, your preference is, is very important too. So if you still prefer a slightly higher fat diet, I think it's okay to have that. Um, but yeah, you should definitely be making the most of getting your, um, getting your carbohydrates in, uh, Austin, what are your thoughts? mate? <laughs> what <are> you <laughs> Sorry, I've been thinking about Eddie's joke from last podcast. About uh, going to the Wiz Palace, the Wiz, the Wiz Khalifa. Just off for everybody, Wiz Khalifa, mate. You know what yeah. I mean? You know what? I drink so much yeah. damn water. It's like fuck, man. Sitting sitting for an hour and then doing a podcast. It's like uh, I'll put a text. I'll put a a message in the Zoom chat and be like, "Bathroom, keep going." <laughs> and then I'll just go use the restroom real quick. That's just like, great. What's the matter with your bladder, mate? Oh, man. <laughs> I just drank half a gallon, bro. Come on. Three cups of coffee deep. No, two cups. Two cups. I'm trying to limit my coffee. But yeah, to uh to kind of stay on track with the, the podcast. Um the yeah, I think it's very important. <laughs> <laughs> he lost it. Like, like clock on your faces because that's making me <laughs> but yeah, 
yeah, macros do become very important in terms of like trying to gain uh, muscle size. Um, and uh, I'm losing my train of thought, dude. <laughs> but, <laughs> do a blooper reel, mate. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then yeah, one one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that carbs is actually way more anabolic than protein, mm-hmm. especially when you are in a calorie surplus. Like I can't remember what the exact mechanisms in the body are off the top of my head, but I believe it's like when you are training, there is an like increase like uh glucose sensitivity or something. It's like GLUT4 or something, one of the uh uh processes in your body that like help like increase glucose uptake and like fuel everything to like muscle growth and so that's why carbs become especially important in a calorie surplus especially when your goal is to lean bulk and also to add um carbs do have a like a protein sparing effect so when you are in a calorie surplus you actually need less protein than if you were in a calorie deficit yeah true what's the most amount of grams of carbs you guys have eaten in a lean bulk like just just curious not much unfortunately no i leave a i lead a pretty sedentary lifestyle yeah and so i think maybe up to 320 grams of carbs i know some people go up to like five six hundred depending on but you know right now it's i'm really not getting that many steps in um so yeah like right now i'm having 275 grams of carbs on my training days and that feels like a lot um so yeah yeah i mean i think 300 grams of carbs is like people don't realize how you kind of have to pound the carbs in just to get that much like it's like you're pounding rice and potatoes like it's like I, I put a story i put a post on my story yesterday of just like this big ass bowl with just potatoes, egg whites, some vegetables, and I was like, I was like, yep, lean bulk. When it's lean yeah. bulk time, it's like I'm eating most of my fucking meals out of these big ass bowls because like they're big fucking meals with lots of carbs. So it's it's yeah. hard to you can't even fit it all on the plate. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing that I do is on my training days, I'll have higher carbs, lower fats. And then on my non-training days, I'll have higher fats, lower carbs. And what I found that does for me is it really makes me think about what my food choices are, because you know, those foods that are very high palatability, like let's just say like um, something from the bakery, you know, Mm. um, a pastry, let's say high carb, high fat goes down an absolute treat. You've got to be, I have to be so careful with that because if I have that on my training day, I'm tucking into like a huge amount of my fats from having something like that. Yeah. And then for the rest of the day, I'm trying to scrimp on my fats and it's just an absolute nightmare. And then on my, on my non-training days, I've got to be careful of going over on the carbohydrates, but I do still have a little bit of room for that. Um, so it's it good because it makes you think and it makes you build the habit of not having these foods that are just packed full of you know, both, both of those carbs and fats, which is generally the, the super tasty foods, you know, like deep fried potatoes, whatever, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Reese's, of, Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah. Those are like the ultimate, the oh, ultimate yeah. fat carb bomb, dude. Those are so good. They are so good. Yeah. yeah. But then you get in the habit of like, okay, I'm eating rice. 
I'm eating potatoes. Uh, you know, I'm opting for much more whole foods that are keeping mm-hmm. me feeling full because I'm having to be smart with my macros. So I find that's working quite nicely for me. I know we're going a bit off topic, but no, I no, I think it's I think it's on topic because I think these lean bulking tips are going to help people because ultimately, if we can keep those the dietary fats in check at least on training days, it's going to minimize the amount of fat gain and put all of those carbs and protein towards towards muscle protein synthesis and start building some muscle. So, I think it's very relevant. And then on on rest days, that's when you know you can have a little bit like fat is flavor, so you can have a little bit more dietary fat and like be a little bit more lax with your food choices whereas on training days Mm -hmm. those are going to be the days you're pounding in the rice chicken potatoes broccoli you know those are going to be the days that you stick to those whole foods that you know are going to optimize that muscle growth so yeah i think it's 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 good stuff Mm -hmm. yeah and then i think something else we could kind of touch on that's similar to this topic is the the fact that you know a lot of us who uh, get into this lean bulk phase we that's not where we've started like we probably didn't start off as this like thin underweight person we probably started off because we were overweight and we started off in this fat loss phase and then now we find that oh we've been successful with this fat loss phase now we kind of want to reverse that and start actually putting on some lean muscle mass and so a lot of people because you're in this mindset of like i've been spending the majority of my fitness journey losing now when you're like purposely gaining it can be kind of scary to you know switch that um flip the switch in a sense to now purposely gaining because in the past when you were gaining you it led you down to a lifestyle or path that wasn't so favorable so yeah that's something that we i think that should be addressed too like if you and I think Andy touched on this a little bit that you know you're the one in control of the weight gain, so don't be scared that you are going to gain a little bit of body fat. You're going to gain a little bit of extra weight, and it's probably not going to be all pure muscle, but it's just knowing that you're in control. Like it, things aren't just going to like spiral out of control, and all of a sudden you're going to put on that all back like your 50 pounds of fat that you lost. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. A lot of people are even scared to go to maintenance. Mm. you know mm-hmm. um like i see this in a lot of women that i coach it's like really difficult and scary to not just go into a bowl but to eat a maintenance um and it's it's tough uh, but like i said one of the best things that i did for my own body positivity and getting comfortable with myself was purposely going into a bulking phase and going through that and being the one in control of gaining weight, knowing that I had in the past done a really good, successful cut, and I could do that again in the future if I wanted to. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's if you feel if people feel comfortable and they feel ready and they feel like they're fed up with dieting, it's definitely a good approach. Yeah, nice man. Yeah, I think. That's a good point as well as like um and I, and I kind of want to touch I want Andy I want you to touch on this a little bit more because uh when you said the body the body positivity thing um 
when you notice that your definition started to go away and you start to get a little bit fluffier, um, how did you overcome those mental struggles that's like telling you? Because this is why I've never successfully bulked is because as soon as like some definition started going away and I felt like the body dysmorphia is kicking in, um, mm-hmm. I started to feel like, oh man, it's time to cut. It's time to cut. You know what I mean? And so how do <laughs> how do I get away from uh, – how do I deal with those mind games that like the head likes to play on? Like, how did you deal with it? Yeah, well, it's, I really just dive, leaned into the training, really. You know, I, I took a lot of pressure off myself from, you know, being a certain weight and looking a certain way and just dived into the training for the most part, because when you're in a calorie surplus, training is incredible. It's like, you get incredible pumps because like you've just got all the nutrients that your body needs packed full of carbohydrates. So you get great pumps, you're hitting PRs in the gym. Like if you've been like chronically dieting and in a calorie deficit, whether you've actually been losing weight or not, you may may have been mentally in a calorie deficit for years and like you just struggle with your training and like to be going from that into a purposeful gaining phase even though body fat might be creeping up, as long as you're being smart with your nutrition and you're not going overboard, people call it the dreamer bulk, right? Where you're like, just, I'm bulking now. Let's just fucking have it. Oh, oh, oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you, you got to be smart with it. And, was and- that your bulk? That was your dreamer bulk <laughs> dance? Oh my yeah. God, that's so good. Yeah, and so of course, there's things that I would... That was my first bulk, and then COVID came around, and things got a little stressful. So I didn't end; it didn't end the way that I would have liked it to. But I'm definitely much bigger now than I was when I'd started that. Um, so that's a good thing. But looking back in hindsight, and this is always going to be the case, like there's things that I would have done differently. Like I was introducing a lot of new foods to my bulk. I was like, oh, you know, I'm I'm bulking now. I've finished my cut. You know, I'm going to fat bulk, you know, like, and then fucking where's the frosted flakes, mate? I was eating <laughs> frosted flakes, like finish my workout, frosted flakes down the throttle, mate. Um, <laughs> and so it's like I was adding in a lot of these foods and, and it's okay to do that to a certain degree, but like you've still got to keep your same diet. And when I say diet, I mean the the typical foods that you tend to eat. Don't go crazy with adding a load of new foods in. Like you still need to keep the habits so that when you do go to maintenance and then in the future to another cut, you are still eating the same kinds of foods that you are used to and not like, let's just say I just start eating Pop-Tarts, Twinkies and whatever else, right? And then it's time for me to start cutting again. And then I have to cut all of that food out and shift much more towards whole foods again. It's going to be a more difficult shift than if I had been eating those whole foods for the most part during during my bulk. With that said, though, I did hear some really good advice from, I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about when you're in a bulking phase, you don't want to be eating just whole foods. The reason being is because you're going to have to eat a lot of calories potentially. Yeah. And what that can do is that can start to, you know, stretch the stomach a little bit. And then as you progress then into a, a cutting phase, 
with your stomach being a little bigger and it wanting to fill the space a little bit more, that's another thing that's being held against you in terms of satiety. So when you're in a bulking phase, you can opt for more calorie-dense foods because there's less in your gut, I suppose, that's going to stretch the stomach in terms of your meals. And then when you're on a cut, you want to do almost the opposite and make sure that you're trying to almost fill up the stomach so you're feeling satiated. So that was a good perspective that I heard. Um, but I think it's trying to find a good balance between those two and, you know, still eat your meat and taters, you know, but then supplement that with food, um, with other foods that you could cut out knowing that you had to basically yeah yeah more calorie dense foods that makes sense like mm-hmm. uh like i know a lot of bodybuilders eat cream of rice and cream of rice is like it's not it's not a high volume food it's actually like uh, basically a way to pound in the carbs in like a small bowl of food which i've never even had cream of rice because like mr calorie deficit over here i've just always been fucking cutting and mm-hmm. uh but I'm considering like once calories get higher, I'm considering trying some cream of rice recipes where like you can make them sweet. Um, just just a pound in the carbs and not uh, increase the, you know, the size of my stomach so that when I go into yeah. a deficit, it doesn't make the deficit super hard. So I like and also digestion, man, like that's something we need to talk about as well. When you're yeah. when you're eating three, four, five hundred grams of carbohydrates and like, you know, three thousand, four thousand calories, like digestion <laughs> is a fucking issue. And so making sure that, you know, we're spacing out those meals appropriately, we are you know, being mindful of like eating enough vegetables and, you know, not overdoing it on the fiber, but getting enough fiber and, you know, maybe even using some digestive enzymes that might help break the food down a little bit better. Um, Going on walks after meals has been a game changer for me. Like when I have a huge meal going on a 10 minute walk, it actually helps me like with my digestion quite a bit, which is something that I think people don't, don't really know about. So just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also had something to add because I took a trip to the Wiz Palace, but uh, I don't know if you guys Uh touched on this, uh, but the fact that when you do go into lean bulk, a lot of people don't realize that you can probably eat a lot more calories than you think. And a big reason for this is due to NEAT. And for those of you listening, if you aren't familiar with that, it's basically NEAT stands for, it's N-E-A-T, stands for non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And that's basically all the calories you burn. Uh, Basically, that's not count towards either keeping your body alive or an exercise routine or like from the digestion of food. It's basically just all the calories you do are you burn just moving around, whether you're doing, you're moving around to meal prep, you're just walking around the grocery store, you're um, just the, the calories you burn, just like moving your body through all these like little movements that we don't necessarily think is exercise, but it obviously, because we're moving our body, it takes a lot of energy to do that. And so a lot of people only think about when you go into a deficit, oh, you do go through metabolic adaptation, your body starts to burn less calories. And yes, that's true. And this is where that, um, that metabolic adaptation comes from, comes mainly from this neat. But a lot of people don't think that when you go into a calorie surplus, your body actually upregulates 
and increases your need as a result of that because it's going, oh, hey, look, we have more energy. So we're going to start being a little bit more active, a little bit more fidgety. And this can account for a, literally a lot of calories, depending on your lifestyle, it can account for literally hundreds of calories. And so when you go into lean bulk, you bump, okay, I don't want to overdo it. I just want to go over by like two, 300 calories. And then if, especially if you're one of those like highly active people and your need upregulates a lot, you can actually put yourself back into a maintenance because you're burning an extra two to 300 calories, like with all this neat. And this is something that we've been um, chatting back and forth, you know, me, Jeff and Andy in their little group chat that we have. And Jeff has experienced this himself, that his neat has like literally skyrocketed as a result of just eating more calories. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, man. Like I, I increased my calories by eight, 800. Um, and my weight actually started dropping. Uh, I hit a new low weigh in after increasing my calories to 800. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Like, a, I just got this new puppy. I'm playing with it all the time. And I'm taking him on walks and I'm training him. And that's a lot of neat right there. On top of that, like, I don't feel so lethargic. Like I just, when I was in this deficit for so long, like I fucking just realized how much I literally sat and I wasn't using my standing desk and I just sat on the couch. And so my down regulation of meat, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, and I'd force myself to get steps in, but even like 5,000 steps per day was tough at some point. Like I was just like, oh, I can't do it. You know, it's just like 5,000 steps, really? But I think something that's important to note as well is like, I looked at some studies that showed uh, the differences in NEAT between certain people based on their genetics. And so we know that like some people are naturally just, they're hard gainers, they're, they're skinny, they grew up like pretty lean and they have a hard time gaining weight. And actually what what has been shown through studies is that it's not actually like their genetics making them lean and making their metabolism higher. It's actually their predisposition to having a higher NEAT. It's actually like if you look at these people, they're the same kids who were in your math class who like couldn't sit still. They were just like ADD, like couldn't stop tapping their pencil. You know, those kids, they, they were skinny. They, they, they were lean. And the reason for that is like they had this predisposition to having a higher neat or non-exercise activity. So they, they just naturally stayed leaner and became hard gainers. So I, and that was for sure not me. You know, I, I was a chubby kid. I didn't have a high, a predisposition to a high neat. Neither of my parents do either. So it's, it makes sense that, uh, yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. Like 800 calories. A lot of people would probably think, oh, if I ate an 800 calorie surplus, you know, I'm going to gain so much fat. And like, it's, it's just something that's scary to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I just increased up a little bit past my uh, my maintenance, and it was like hit a new low weigh in, and then consistently hit a new low weigh in. I was like, I'm gonna have to increase calories more because uh, this is crazy. So yeah, now I'm I'm eating quite a bit of food already on like the second week, and it's good though. I'm I'm enjoying it, and the training's going really well, and I can't tell you how long it's been since I've been in a surplus, like, and actually been like, like stoked to train, but I'm like, you know, really stoked to train right now. I'm just hitting PRs like crazy. So it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm on, a, we, I'm on ever... a cut over here, mate. I know. I know. Yeah. And I know we went on a few tangents. Did we ever touch on how long 
we should be in a surplus. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we should probably say that. Yeah, because yeah. that that's a huge factor too. Um, so personally, for me, I recommend anywhere from six to twelve plus months, just because honestly, like we should not be spending the majority of our lives in a deficit. Like that is just not healthy, nor is it yeah, just like oh, not even just from like a body composition perspective but just some like an overall lifestyle perspective like it's a lot of people don't realize it's there's it's a lot of stress to be in a calorie deficit on your body like you're literally restricting energy from your body and you're telling it hey we're because as far as your body goes it doesn't care it's like that we want to look sexy and lean on the beach it's just like we're just primed for survival hmm. and when it's in a period of a deficit it's like it's thinking that we're in a period of famine and we're not getting enough food so that just itself it just creates a lot of stress in the body but yeah i i would recommend i don't want to go into too much of a tangent but yeah basically anywhere from six to six to twelve plus months and then this depends on you know how big of a surplus you are going to be in your training experience obviously as we've touched on this earlier and that's mainly because you know as we've said the newer you are, the more muscle you're going to have to gain. So the more, if you have more muscle to gain, then you're going to need more calories to build that muscle. Whereas if you're more advanced, you have less then you can be in a slightly smaller surplus. Hmm. And then obviously if you are, if you have a higher calorie intake, you're probably going to bulk in a less period of time, but I still recommend for anyone just like 12 plus months, just because it takes a long fucking time to build muscle. Yeah. If yeah. What are your thoughts then? Because I think that it also depends on people's genetic potential and that will help determine how much muscle they could potentially gain in a year. So it's not necessarily a one size fits all, like 10 to 15 pounds for everyone. Like, because I know some clients of mine that are hard gainers, you know, like they are, like they gain, they gain weight but it is really difficult for them to put on size and muscle and it does take longer for some people um what are your thoughts on that uh yeah that that's a good question i would like honestly this stuff is just so like subjective like there yeah like you said there's really no one size fits all answer um i'd say for the most part if you're doing it correctly it should take a while because you are like progressively lean bulking but also another thing is to and this is why i harped on the point of pro, pro, taking progress pictures so much is because you're probably going to bulk into the points like for all of us you're going to get to a point where like okay maybe i'm putting on a little bit too much body fat and i should probably dial it back and start to like lose some fat so i think it's purely subjective at that point like some people are comfortable you know getting to a much higher body fat percentage than they have anticipated some people maybe not so much so i'd say using the mirror and progress pictures is probably your best bet because we all Mm kind of have that point i'm guessing Mm -hmm. yeah one thing that i would say is like if if you're thinking about doing a a gaining phase realistically you would want to be relatively lean when you start because you're going to gain some body fat and you know gaining body fat is you know you you get you gain enough body fat and it's unhealthy you know like there's Mm -hmm. there's actual health implications to being a certain body fat after a while so you know i would say you want to start off relatively lean at least doesn't mean that like if the timing's not right for you that you have to go through a cut first but you know in an ideal world you would you know 
I don't know, maybe 12 to 15% body fat potentially is a good starting point for, for someone going into their first lean bulk perhaps. And then, you know, building up to maybe around 20% and then cutting back down. Um, and, you know, going for, when you're going through your gaining phase, you know, like we said, you're going to expect some, some body fat gain. And there will be a point in time where that is a little bit uncomfortable and you do feel a little bit self-conscious, that's okay. You can push a little bit further than that. As, uh, as long as you haven't gone too fast, that's the important thing. Um, but that makes for good training, you know. Um, and then once you kind of get, you know, a month or two past that point of self-consciousness, um, you can start to go into a cut, really. But, yeah, like like Austin said, you don't really want it to be much shorter than, you know, four to six months, really. Um, because you really want to get that momentum for the muscle building to accrue really, but you don't want to accrue too much body fat is the thing. So that's one thing to be really, um, to focus on or pay attention to. It's like, you don't want to get too overweight that it becomes unhealthy. So that's something to to think about. Mm -hmm. I, I think another important thing to bring up as well is training. Um, what should training look like as, you know, when somebody's in a deficit maintenance versus a surplus? Um, obviously, you have more carbs and you have more fuel to be able to push yourself harder with your training. So do you guys program differently for clients who are in a surplus versus a deficit? You want to go first, Andy? I I was do, do I program different for my clients in the yeah. deficit as opposed to a surplus? Yeah. Do you like do you add in more volume? Do you um, do you have any like prescription like exercise prescriptions that you usually follow for somebody in a surplus versus a deficit? Because personally, I don't I don't I don't program any differently for somebody who's in a deficit versus a surplus. If they're in a steep deficit, I will reduce some of the volume sometimes. But for the most part, it's just like because we're just trying to maintain muscle at that point. We're not necessarily trying to build muscle. But uh, but for the most part, training is almost exactly the same. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same, same really. Uh, like you said, if it's, you know, maybe a small reduction in volume, if they're like struggling, you know, for whatever reason. Because it, it's not – training's not always fantastic when you're in a steep deficit – you know, if you've been doing that for a long time, it can feel kind of a bit of a grind. And so sometimes just going in there and going through the motions, as long as you're pushing close enough to failure is going to be okay mm-hmm. without pushing the this number of sets that you're doing way, way up, I think. Um, but, you know, really trying to maximize it on in the surplus. But honestly, it's, it's pretty much just the same. I pay attention to steps quite a lot when I'm tracking clients. Um, fat loss and then mm. i look at the steps when i'm tracking people's uh, gaining phase and then if they're struggling to gain weight and they're pounding a lot of calories sometimes i'll suggest that they do less steps if they're doing a, a hell of a lot that's the only difference really mm-hmm. um maybe they would take a deload slightly more often if they were in a deficit and struggling but other than that no it's it's pretty much exactly the same you know, progressive overload, you can still build strength in a deficit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can build more strength and uh, more muscle, of course, in a surplus, 
Um, but in the for the most part, no, it's still the same resistance training, progressive overload, same rep ranges, similar number of sets. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh and then Austin, I have a question for you. So so I know a lot of a lot of coaches recommend like nine to twelve sets per muscle group uh per week for muscle growth. Um mm-hmm. but then there's been this whole other train of thought that's like, well, you know, a lot of that might be junk volume. So if that's nine to twelve hard sets per muscle group per week for optimal muscle growth, and then there's other people who say you don't need that many sets. As long as you're taking those sets close enough to failure, you will stimulate enough muscle growth. So what is your what is your opinion on this? Yeah, so that is a very good question. And um I I was actually I actually wanted to kind of dive into this as well. Um and Paul Carter has changed my entire viewpoint on this basically like a lot of people recommend like oh this amount of like hard sets and i i think it is a good recommendation like for people to gauge like how many sets they should be doing in terms of volume but also there is another model that uh it actually represents muscle growth like i think even better it's called the effective reps model so the whole idea behind this is that we only you only count the the effective number of reps in your sets like as you do it over the course of like a training cycle or training week or training day and it makes sense if you really think about it. so effective reps are basically which reps are like the most effective towards building muscle because if you really think about it if you did it doesn't matter if you did 5 sets or 50 sets but if all of those sets were like really easy and you're lifting like you know 5 pink pink dumbbells at the gym and you're just going in and getting in your like little pump like none of those reps are going to count towards muscle growth and even though you could call it like your 50 like hard sets like they weren't really like hard at all none of those reps were hard so you're not going to see any muscle growth at all and um i believe the the model it's if you go to true failure it's about four to five effective reps so if you count it like, and this is gets really more nuanced. This is more so if you are programming for intermediate and advanced athletes who have a really good idea of what training close or to failure looks like, because if you don't get the true failure, you don't really know like how many of those reps were effective or like how that really counts. But as a general rule, like if you go to true failure until the point you can't do any more reps, that's, it's about four to five effective reps. And then yeah, and then I think there was also another study that's referenced a lot. It, I think it's called the uh, Ostrowski study or something, where like people did as little as like three sets to failure per week, and they saw a lot of gains. Interesting. Okay, and and then so so you see a lot of people in the gym who are doing like like twenty thirty plus reps but what this effective rep model is basically saying is like hey only like the last four or five reps in those ridiculously grueling long sets are actually effective towards muscle growth so yeah exactly (laughs) so so pretty much what you're telling me is i don't need to be doing fucking widow maker sets on fucking leg press (laughs) for Uh 30 30 reps um no but that's that's good to know, man. And I honestly have been seeing tremendous gains, you know, using using Paul Carter's approach and, you know, got to give him a shout out because like he's definitely taught me a lot about um, effective training and, you know, definitely just got to give him a shout out because uh, 
definitely changed the way that I'm training this time around. And I think I'm going to make some tremendous gains uh, with, with his advice and tips that he gives out. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, for sure. And then with that, like, same effective rep model, we could go into this as well. And I recently just did film a YouTube video about this that, like, a lot of people ask, like, oh, what's the most effective rep range for building muscle? Like, is it doing high reps, doing low reps, and all that? And when we put this into perspective, like, it doesn't matter if you do 20 reps to failure or six reps to failure. Like, if you are getting enough of those effective reps, if you are training hard enough, your body's still going to get that same stimulus. Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. And maybe that's another uh, topic we'll go over in another podcast. We are getting a little bit long winded on this one, but I uh, just want to thank everybody who's listening so far. We haven't officially released the podcast yet. We're waiting till we have a couple episodes lined up and then we're going to do some back end stuff to make sure that we are all ready to go with the rollout. But so this will be the second episode of the podcast. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we get some good traction and uh and some some listeners who really appreciate what the hell we're doing around here amen mate all right well yeah. i will talk to you guys soon and uh yeah thanks everybody for listening thanks yep. for listening gang thanks for listening guys uh we oh. might call we might call us the the wanker gang even though that's not the official name of the podcast you can just call us the wanker gang what's yeah. going on <laughs> 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 that's a great way to end it